Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And my name is Philip Sage. And uh, the views I express are those of my own, not of uh, Baker Hughes or Bentley, Nevada or Arms Reliability. You know, I'm just thinking when we edit this, we should put a little like corporate music underneath your disclaimer. <laughs> and a, an ampersand or two or a registered trademark or something. Or something. Yeah. I don't know what those sound like. You know, required, different, uh, right? Oh, did you see, this is completely off topic for what we had planned to talk about, but did, did you see the articles a couple months ago that the physicists or astrophysicists have figured out, um, how to hear the universe there point something at, I don't, and I didn't read into it, but the sounds coming off of like the Milky way or, or a, a black hole or whatever is being shifted from some spectrum that they're, they're analyzing and that it has a time variant to it. And so they, they transpose it into the audio realm and uh-huh. the sound is amazing. You can tell the difference between a pulsar and a black hole or a sun or, you know, all kinds of different things. Did you run into that yet? No, I haven't. I'm definitely going to have to go look for it because uh, it piques my interest. In uh, years ago, I used uh, back when the FFTs were just starting to get uh, their uh, feet under them. Uh, it had some uh, FFT recording uh, software that uh, allowed me to record and see the the visual spectrum. Mm-hmm. So it'd be very interesting to uh, kind of tweak that and uh, and uh, and uh, take that into the astrophysical world and listen to the galaxies. I'd be real kind of nerdy for sure. But oh yeah, be, yeah, no, I, I figured you'd be, you'd appreciate that. But it's it's also um, it it's related to what I think is what makes reliability engineers unique is in it's one it's just a bit of nerdiness and some of us get a little too deep into the statistics side of it for you know for cocktail discussions with the neighbors um but yeah i found out real quick that if you want to be left alone at a party start talking about hypothesis testing (laughs) people just start walking away (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and of course uh, what do you do for a living uh uh, i'm a reliability engineer what's that i've never heard of that well uh uh, yeah those those answers are uh, you know not the elevator answers i suppose uh, oh no but i i you know my answer to that question is, is i break things so that design teams and companies can make them last long enough that you're happy and, yeah, I mean, I had that uh, question just the other day. I was at a bank doing, signing off on a signature card uh, for an account, and he asked, "So, what do you what do you do?" And I said, "I'm a reliability engineer." He exactly what you said. What's that? And I says, "Well," <laughs> <laughs> and he and that I you know after years of seeing you know that puzzled look that that I've kind of gotten it down. But I used to just say, "Oh, I break things. It's fun. I'm still five years old." Yeah, well, if, if uh, a credible scientist came out and said, uh, after sampling the DNA from a, a thousand reliability engineers, we've identified a common gene amongst everybody that works in this profession, I'd probably believe them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a touch of curiosity. It's uh, fascination with how things fail, I, I think, is an aspect of it. 
um, a bit of statistics, a bit of math, uh, but we also dabble in material science and polymer physics. Uh, we deal with, you know, ion contamination. We deal with cosmic radiation, whatever that is, you know, alphas and beta particles taking stuff apart. I mean, um, there's no bounds to, to the fields that we get involved in. And I didn't even touch on software side of the world. I, uh, we get oh, yeah. into that too. So it's, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting, you know, and your areas uh, that you just mentioned are, are a little bit different than the areas that often I find myself working in uh, with asset management and improving the, the maintenance to large machines and mm-hmm. processes and uh, network availabilities and, and, and so forth. But uh, it's, it's all uh, the same uh, reliability engineering fundamentals being just applied in different niches of, of, of the world, uh, in, industries. Well, it, and, you know, both of us have gotten the, the pleasure, the absolute privilege, I think is the right way to phrase it, of working with teams from all over the place in all kinds of industries. And I think that gene is out there. And it, some of it gets into, and there's obviously a handful of mechanical engineers and and electrical engineers and all these other design folks that have a touch of reliability in them. Maybe they've been got a, a, a tracer of that gene and maybe the next generation will be reliability engineers. Um, but it's the, yeah, things won't last forever. We kind of get that. <laughs> and we've all run into those program managers that are, well, ship it, turn it on, get it running. You know, it's, we can't deal with failures. And I've heard it explained that there, some people look at the world as from the success point of view, everything will work. You know, we've got a big run coming up. It's very important. We hit our target and all this other good stuff and nothing will go wrong. So we we plan on using every moment of our system. And then the rest of us are sitting there with our wrenches going, yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not gonna happen <laughs> yeah i think you hit it on the head it you know the privilege is the right word and uh, when I, I look back over the last oh, 20 25 years i've, I've traveled uh, all over the world and uh, e- even focused for a few years in southeast asia and it, it, it i think reliability is a gene or it's a it's a common language for certain that yeah. transcends uh, the cultures and uh the languages and uh, is spoken in in every country uh, with a, you know equal passion. So it's a, you know when you, whether I'm working with a team in Australia or in, in uh, uh, England or in Ireland or the United States as as I was this morning uh, or uh, in Australia uh, in, in, or China for that matter it does the the concepts of reliability and the passion and the thirst are the same and the the uh, the language of reliability even though it's spoken often in a different language than English, uh, is uh, still the same language. And, and I think you've hit on many of the, the major points of, of what it is to be a reliability engineer. Uh, and uh, they, what I find that uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tremendous uh, privilege, I think, as you put it, uh, to have worked with uh, so many different teams around the world and uh, still uh, being able to enjoy and uh, learn from them as, as you do it. Oh yeah, no, the amount of stuff I've learned is it's you know it's visiting with a colleague in you know walking into their lab or to their work area and they've got usually always have a, I call it a trophy case 
and I'm sure you've seen these, is, you know, broken shafts or pieces of melted material or, you know, (laughs) and every one of them has a story. Every single one of those bits and bobs has a story. And usually sometimes the the fascinating stories about how, you know, it was in the keepsake is a reminder of that event, but also of that failure mechanism of that, how that manifested itself, how that became a problem. And as some of it's a cautionary tale to others to say, Hey, you know, we learned something, let's not forget it. And other times it's, it's just a, a catalog of the range of things that we can be involved in. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely got uh, my own collection. I've whittled it down over the years, but I still have three, uh, three very large, well, fairly large ball bearings that uh, uh, had uh, several flat spots on them. And if I stacked them correctly, I could actually stack uh, oh, wow. these ball bearings up <laughs> and put them on the edge of my desk. And the unknowing, you know, new visitor would come in and instantly be gravitated towards these ball bearings sitting yep. stacked. And, and, and eventually they, they just couldn't rule out the temptation. They'd touch it. And of course the ball bearings would go everywhere yeah. and you have a great discussion about flat spots and, and laughing, uh, you know, what are you doing touching my ball bearings? But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, we've all, you know, we've seen far too many blasted, burnt, uh, blown up bits and pieces, worn out, cracked things. And, and that's just the, the real life that we, that we work in from time to time. Um, uh, and, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, understanding that uh, those those types of failures occur and and is is part of the passion that drives us forward because it's always something different and that's the unique thing. Yeah, it's different, but it, there seem to be patterns, and I think folks in reliability engineering start picking up on that. One one of my very early projects as a consultant was with a hot tub company, and they made um, the standalone hot tubs that you'd stick on your bet your balcony or your back deck or backyard or whatever you didn't have to build it in it wasn't like building uh-huh. in a swimming pool it was basically a big box with tubing underneath the skin with a siding on these things um and at first i thought i was going to be you know looking at the heating element or the pumps as figuring those would probably and they said no we got those wired we got those down we, we know what we're doing there but the siding on the outside of this thing that covers all the guts of this thing uh-huh. uh, keeps falling off. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good look. <laughs> and they were using extruded polymer, right? They're using some uh-huh. kind of probably propylene or something like that, and they extruded it. And I happened to have worked for 10 years, eight years, I think it was, in a polymer plant. I was making, I was extruding cables essentially, but we also worked with all kinds of other polymers in the other divisions. And I, so I became pretty familiar with how polymers work. And when you extrude it, it kind of lines everything up. The stars are aligned just right. So that when you heat or cool a thing, it'll move quite a bit. It'll expand and contract in that direction of the extrusion. Uh, And so these things were, I don't know, two feet high, uh, what, two, uh, less than a meter high, these extruded planks, basically. Uh-huh. And they were stapling them to the frame. Oh. And they said they tried nails, they tried screws, and they, now they're using staples. And they said, and they're still falling off, right? Oh, yeah. I said, Do you, <laughs> have you figured out how much these things move? You know, because yeah. the bottom's in the ground or on a concrete base of something, right? So it's not moving. Yep. So the other end of it is going to take all this motion. And so they did a couple quick calculations knowing what the, the there's 
they could look it up from their vendor what the expansion coefficient was. And they said, and I asked them, so I suspect these occur in high deserts more often, like uh, Flagstaff or Phoenix or places like that in Denver. And you go, how'd you know that? (laughs) 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 They have bigger swings of temperature than anybody else. And it was moving like three quarters of an inch. And it was no no wonder that they were ripping these uh, fasteners off. And so I didn't, I, I, having been a woodworker almost all my life and making furniture and, you know, things like that, uh, as a hobby, I said, why don't you put a slot there so that, or a, a, a clamp that allows it to move, but holds it in, in its place, but allows it to move in the vertical direction. And they looked like me, at me like, are you a mechanical engineer? Because goes, no, I do woodworking. Uh, <laughs> they were just blown away. <laughs> so there's part of it is, is we pull from so many things. And I think part of what we do is reliability engineers. And you, the way you were phrasing it, Philip, is that it's the, this common language. But I think it's more than that. I think it's the common way we look at things. So that if I see a failure because of this coefficient of expansion problem, you know, I can look at how other industries, completely different materials, solve a very similar problem and go, how about, why don't you look at it this way? No, I agree. And I, I was hoping you were going to offer our listeners uh, the free life testing opportunity to have a hot tub shipped to them for a year or two to test to see if this happens in their backyard. But, yeah, uh, I ask that at it, clients all the time, <laughs> and, and they, they they weren't going to ship me up one of those. They, they were going to give me one of the plastic planks to, to play with. Um, That's it, huh? Yeah, I could do yeah. that as a carry-on. <laughs> I did ask Tesla. I went and did a, a little, uh, just a noontime talk to the reliability t- team, and they gave me a hat, and I said, does this mean that I don't need the key for the car that you're giving me on the parking lot? <laughs> no, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> no, don't get one of those. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you, you bring up some good points, Fred. I think it uh, how, being able to work in a variety of different industries and in the reliability field really it lends itself well to uh, tackling uh, problems and being able to look at the world a little differently than uh, perhaps somebody else might be able to, uh, and that, that gives us an advantage. And but it's that underlying passion or whatever that gene that we were kind of laughing about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we've become reliability engineers. We weren't born that way. And uh, it's something that interests us and we have a passion for. And uh, that's why we've gravitated into this work. You know, you know even the folks like myself, they got a tap on the shoulder says, hey, you're going to do the reliability stuff now. And I'm like, well, okay. It, it is fascinating work. It is. It really, really is. Um, I don't know. I, I think every single host and anybody I've talked to on the show has got told story after story about interesting failure mechanisms or is interesting dilemmas that being a reliability engineer could make, can craft the solution or help the team find a solution. That's what it's all about. I mean, we're all trying to find a way to, uh, you know, find that solution, find that magic silver bullet, which is often elusive, but, you know, find a group of solutions that you can apply that uh, prevent the problem from reoccurring. Yeah. Uh, you know, and back to this, you know, different disciplines and stuff, you know, I've had the advantage in our consulting work to, to, you know, one day you're in a bottling plant and the next day you're in a polymer extrusion plant and the next day it's, you know, oil wells, uh, uh, 
drilled heads that with those are so damn complicated <laughs> it's amazing they work <laughs> but they do mm-hmm. um but the the other side of that point is that if you're a reliability engineer and you're working say in consumer products you're making you know putting ivory soap into boxes to send to you know various stores you still have to deal with problems, things not working, adhesives failing or equipment failing or vats and machines and bearings and everything else that's involved with a lot of what we do. But going to a conference that has a paper from a medical device company talking about whatever they're talking about, maybe just the clue to help you solve a problem back in your shop. And I, I think there's way too many people that say, oh, that's just automotive or we're automotive. We're unique. We, you know, like, mm. We're all different. Yeah. yeah, We're, yeah. we're all different. Like, no, not really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, 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 I listen to people kind of say that and I, I've learned to, uh, you know, graciously kind of ignore that because everybody <laughs> believes, I think everybody likes to think that they're special and, and develops that mantra that we're different. Our industry is different. Yeah. You, know, you know, if you haven't worked in our industry, uh, you don't understand it. But, you know, when when we get to whether it's a yogurt line or an automobile assembly line or a steel mill, uh, we're all still using pumps, motors, electricity, hydraulics, air, pneumatics. Well, we're putting forces on things. We're we're putting yeah. stresses on things in certain ways to get to achieve what we're trying to achieve. And um, there's a limit to that. And there's yep. repetitive failures. There's you know stresses that we repeat, or there's just overstress, or there's mistakes, or there's <laughs> there's all kinds of reasons that are the exact same fundamental causes in that yogurt plant as in that steel mill. Completely different yep. set of stresses. Yep. But um, yeah, very I don't. Similar. Yeah, I don't think you want to put a yogurt cup in a blast furnace for very long. <laughs> no, it won't last. And uh, a yogurt cup and a blast furnace uh, pouring platform in the middle of February uh, is like a uh, on the outside of a chimney, and the wind's blowing about a hundred miles an hour. So the wind chill, you know, <laughs> dude, is uh, is just I recall was just absolutely frigid, but I uh, really enjoyed the time that I've actually spent on blast furnace pouring platforms in early in my career, yeah. uh, simply because the people that were working there were so genuine and uh, uh, interesting to work with. But uh, yeah, it, 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 every industry is different, but there are so many commonalities that, uh, from a reliability perspective, uh, the you know, the, 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 the equipment is still the same and the goal is still the same. Get as much out of the equipment as you can and make as much money uh, and, and as you can in the market with that product. And, um, and uh, everybody has pride and, and wants to uh, have a good product or a good uh, uh, production run. And, and there's a lot of uh, challenges to, uh, to, to overcome. So there's no shortage of problems to solve. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. And so... Yeah, it's. I keep thinking of this gene thing. Is there's a handful of characteristics, and I, I only mention a couple of them. I think it was the, you know, curiosity, fascination with things that fail, a um, little bit of statistics. What else would you add to that list? Is ah, uh, that's a that's a really great question. Um, I you know, uh, it's that underlying uh, desire to learn. I think is probably 
Uh, I, see, I put that in the hallmark of a really good reliability engineer. I yeah. found a few of them that aren't interested <laughs> in learning. They just do what they're told and just do what they did yesterday. And they're not yeah. happy in their job. Uh, yeah. But I think wanting to learn, being taking that curiosity to the next level and, and, and dig a bit and understand it and scratch the surface and figure out what's going on, that's that passion to learn thing. And yeah. that applies for lots and lots of disciplines, right? I don't think that's unique to reliability. No, I, I think that, uh, uh, but but in order to be a really good uh, reliability engineer, you have to be uh, uh, willing and 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 motivated or just enthusiastic about continually learning. Yep. And, and uh, you know, earlier uh, we were talking about William Meeker and uh, uh, Wayne Nelson uh, and uh, their contributions to our, our you know life testing uh, and, and data analysis. And I think you know the really good engineers are 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 have to be uh, you know motivated to to learn uh, beyond what it is that I'm doing today, and so that I can actually do something that uh, uh, hasn't been done before, or I can expand uh, what we're capable, what our capabilities are into yep. an area where we haven't been before. Uh, simply, you know, kind of being a jockey and and riding the same horse every day just doesn't uh, and and that that's good for some people but that just doesn't make you great i think you have to really uh want to understand why it is that uh, that you're winning the race yeah I, I totally agree and so one other aspect i think that makes reliability folks unique is that um we happily grab our prototypes or samples or whatever and we take it to a facility that we apply all kinds of stresses to it and we want it to break <laughs> so we can learn something. <laughs> Whereas the rest of the team going, Oh, there goes that sample. You know, <laughs> we'll never see that again. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, in, in the asset management world, you really don't have samples that you can go break. Sometimes a, uh, like a in the mining business, a, a new haul truck is over a million dollars, probably. Yeah, but if you're on the team that's designing that thing, right, or you're yeah. on the team trying to figure out why these bolts are failing, um, yeah, you yeah. might end up going off to figure this stuff out. Yeah, you might not do it on the whole <laughs> transmission all at once, but uh, yeah, I get that. Um, yeah. But can you imagine? I mean, the the folks that are in the uh, the different. Uh, private companies now doing space exploration and creating rockets and landing rockets on barges oh. in the ocean and just the new technology, the new systems that are being put in place. And, and they're turning these things around pretty quick. So I'm thinking factory asset management is a big part of moving this equipment around and dealing with it and refurbishing it. And it's all new. It's it, I, I, one, I was teaching a class to a team that was doing some, a piece of medical device equipment that did radiation therapy, very specific. They could get like a centimeter square or cube with radiation and not really do damage to anything else. It was amazing equipment. And I was giving them a hard time about some of the statistics and the math and going, okay, you guys are smart. You can figure this out. And then one of the guys sat back and said, you know, give me a break. We're trying to cure cancer here. <laughs> like, yeah you got a, you got a good point there but let's make it yeah. actually work you know so you yeah. can do it more than one patient per year kind of thing yeah. and so we got to a compromise on that uh well there's always challenges and um that, that every team is different and every situation that i've ever met a reliability engineer working in is different uh so i, I think the 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 overall 
thought is that uh, you know we have to continually be willing to adapt as well as another uh, feature and the the curiosity that you mentioned is a is a key attribute for uh, you know for a reliability to true engineer to truly be curious uh, about uh, whether it's failure or on the other side of the coin uh, trying to prevent failure yep. uh, and uh, uh, and uh, those are uh, uh, you know, key attributes that uh, that uh, really set the uh, the top reliability engineers apart from the rest of the field. Yeah. Well, until the the uh, DNA folks identify the reliability engineering, and you know that's going to be the gene that just lasts longer than anything else. <laughs> it'll yeah. never have a problem. It'll, just, it'll be stable and just all that good stuff. So, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's a. It's an interesting idea here. But anyway, if you're listening to this, think we just completely went off the deep end here. Hopefully there's a handful of things in there that uh, reinforce so you don't feel alone. You are uniquely different than anybody else. That's true. Um, that's fine. There's more of us out there, so that's all good. Um, but if you got a you know a thought or a question or an idea or something like that or, or something you'd like to explore and have us talk about on the show, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. I'm sorry. Ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And there are a couple ways to get in touch with us on that page. Uh, Philip and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and or through the about pages on the site. And um, we really do enjoy hearing from you, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, and especially if you've got a question or an idea or topic for us, uh, really do appreciate that. And um, I think I mentioned it a few episodes ago is that more and more of our shows are being seeded um, uh, or or created because of questions we're receiving. So it's, I, I know that the pace of those questions is picked up, and so we certainly appreciate that. Uh, so that, with that, Philip, I understand it's uh, a Friday for you. It's Thursday for me. You're halfway around yep. the world and heading into a springtime weekend. So enjoy yep. that. Have a good time. Yep. Looking forward to uh, it's supposed to rain here all weekend, but uh, I won't let that dampen the weekend. So when you get to yours, have a safe uh, and enjoyable weekend as well. All right. Thanks, Philip. We'll do. And we'll talk to you again in, in the near future, I'm sure. All right. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.